All right, let's do it. Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. And on today's podcast, we're going to be talking to RJ Grimshaw. He's going to talk to us about um, growing up as an entrepreneur, looking up to his dad who had ran several successful businesses. He's going to tell us about the concept about an intrapreneur and what that means. Of course, we'll talk about his book. And RJ is going to share with us what his superpower is, which is ultimately helping businesses get unstuck in their ideas and make solid business decisions. RJ, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation and, and kudos to you for the, the content you've been putting out uh, over the last couple of years. It's, it's really good. Yeah, no, thank you. And I absolutely, I mean, podcasts have grown in such a big way during the last few years with the pandemic. And you and I were just talking about Zoom and all of that. And we're going to definitely tackle that. But let's let's go back to your uh, early years. We'll, we'll get to when you were 22 and you built that multi-million dollar business. But before then, share with us what your first job was. I would say my first job was, and there were several, but the first job that, that comes to memory is my parents actually owned a mobile home park. And this was back in the late 60s and early 70s. And one of the things that um, I, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, my dad and mom owned several businesses. And my first true job was actually mowing the lawn for my parents at the mobile home park. And we would do one of two things. We had to maintain those 40 units, 40 units, which means we had to maintain the, the, the outside barriers of, of the park itself. And then certain individuals that rented from my parents would want their lot done. And to, to, to date myself here, we would, I would go in and, and mow a lot for $5 wow. and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and literally it would take me probably 20 minutes, 25 minutes with a push lawnmower, but that was my first job. And, and then just helping my mom and dad, you know, maintain the park and, and it was in upstate New York. So there was snow plowing that had to be done and snow removal and things of that nature. And um, my first real job outside of a family business was actually, I was a, a grocery bagger. Yes, there used to be people that bagged your groceries for you. And uh, I, I uh, actually was before the paper or plastic days. So dating myself again. And that was actually for a, a store chain in upstate New York by the name of Price Chopper. And I'll never forget that on Sundays, uh, you were actually paid double time. So I'm going to date myself again. Minimum wage was four and a quarter. So on Sundays, I was breaking in a whole, you know, 9.50 an hour or 8.50 an hour. And I thought I was living large. So I'd take every Sunday shift I could um, just because of that. But at the end of the day, I uh, it was all about entrepreneurship and, and business ownership. And that's what um, I, I, I fell in love with and, and continue to, to be a student of, of the game. Yeah, I, I, I love those stories. Your dad's name is Gene. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So I, I love those stories because for me, it was a lot the same, uh, RJ, in that I saw my mom and dad running businesses from an early age and I got that bug. And I was recently at a, an RV park. Um, my wife and I take our four kids and we RV all over the, the Southeast US here. And um, there's a few RV parks that we go to that we love it because they're family owned, just like mm-hmm. you and your parents own their, their, their uh, RV park. And typically they have the kids helping, helping with everything, get garbage on a golf cart, go, go just the whole thing. And it's such 
I, I point this out to my kids often when we're there saying, I mean, look, you see, these kids are helping their parents and our kids do the same. They help us. I'm trying to instill the same sort of values in, in that way. So fast forward to when you're 22. So you learn a lot from mom and dad. But then when you're 22, tell us about that business, RJ. So I was actually in the military. Uh, I was in the U.S. Air Force and I was actually home on leave. I was married at a very young age to my wife. We've been married. It'll be 32. I'm going to get this right. 32 years <laughs> in August. So I was married very young. And I was, we were actually home on leave from the Air Force. And I was in my dad's home office. And he, he, had, and he had on his desk a, a multiple listing an MLS listing for this business. And the business was closed for five, four or five years. And it was a bar restaurant. And I said, dad, what are you doing with this? And he said, well, I've always wanted to own a bar and, but I could never do it without, you know, the help of, of you. Um, one, your mother would kill me um, because I would, I would be another business and too busy. Um, but secondly, it, it's just, it'd be too much. And I said, well, I said, I would have interest in, in, in coming back and let me talk to my wife, Marianne, coming back and maybe running this. So the next day, um, and I would tell all entrepreneurs this, it doesn't matter where you are in the process of, of trying to identify a business, or if you know if, you're, if it's, this is your business that you want to start, reach out to people who are already in the industry. So my wife knew a, uh, a girl that she grew up with that were very close friends, and her parents actually owned a, a bar. So the next day we went to lunch with Mary, Mary Saylor, and we um, just picked her brain for an hour and a half. And she was an open book and told us about this. We walked out of that meeting and I said, dad, I'm in if, if, if you want to do this. Um, and that was in August. And by November, I was out of the military back in upstate New York. And we were starting demo demolition and creating the, the concept and, and what we wanted to bring to life. And we opened in that following March after a significant investment. Uh, and rehab of the building and facility. My brother, my younger brother, Eric, was my partner. And um, ultimately he ran the business. I sold my interest out uh, seven years into the business. Um, and ultimately he ran the business for 20 plus years, which is unheard of in the bar and restaurant business. Mm -hmm. um, he sold it uh, pre-COVID um, and, and now lives out and uh, enjoying life in Las Vegas. So, um, but from that, my dad, um, he threw me in the deep end of the pool, in essence, is what he did. He said, uh, I, I'll be your bank. I'll help finance it and, and uh, I'll, I'll guide you. However, it's up to you to do everything. So I had to go meet with the attorney to set up the, the S Corp. I had to meet with our, pick an accountant or a CPA. I had to pick our insurance carrier. I had to work with the beer distributors. And keep in mind, I'm 22 at, at, at this time. So these guys are thinking, holy cow, you know, look at, perception. And back then I didn't think about this, but now at my age, looking back, I'm sure perception was, okay, here's a young kid. Daddy's buying him a business. They'll mm -hmm. fail. Well, we went from, from zero in bar and liquor sales in the county to number one within two years. And now all of a sudden we had the attention of everyone, the attention of the distributors, because we knew we had to be a destination place versus just a bar or a restaurant. We wanted people to come for experiences. So we were really heavily into experiences every night of the week, different things, everything from country line dancing to uh, uh, dark competitions to we built a volleyball court behind uh, the facility. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, uh, back to the campgrounds, ultimately, my brother ended up building a 10 unit campground behind the facility because it was 11 acres of property. So, um, but, but the learnings there, I really 
receive my MBA during that. Um, firing people, unfortunately, hiring people, dealing with the state, dealing with um, building inspectors. So it was uh, learn on the job. I was young, so I could work long hours. I had the support of my wife, which was outstanding. She was a bartender as well. Um, and actually, she struggled out more with it when we sold our piece of the business to my brother than I did. Oh, really? She was really emotionally attached. Mm. We came back. It was her identity to a certain degree. Um, uh, and, and we made, we made one heck of a run and my, my brother made even a longer run. In it. So, um, it, it was a great business. And so when you start there, you, you're coming off the, the air force and you're, you don't have the business acumen or the leadership skills that you have today. So sometimes we reflect back and say, well, if I knew then what I knew now, but it sounds to me like coming into there from the, from the military that really helped you have those sorts of the, the, the values and the structure that you really need to be disciplined to run a business because you're going to have to learn new things, make mistakes, but then make those adjustments quickly. Two, two things happened. One, getting married to my wife, Marianne, and which shaped me up real quick. And then two, the military gave me the understanding of discipline and the understanding of structure. And, and I'm a firm believer that people need structure or at least guide rails to drive success, to keep them in their lane. And those are two things that I learned over that short period of time. I would say from a leadership perspective, um, I don't want to say that I was always a leader, but in the same respect, I was the guy that set up a softball team. I was the guy that set up the basketball team. I was the guy that took ownership. Hey, if we're getting together to do something, I was always that guy. So naturally it kind of fed into what, what I do today. And then, you know, back then into that, you know, in terms of holding a staff meeting in terms of, you know, making hard decisions and things of that nature. But every day I continue to study and learn and, and um, I've been really focused on over the last couple of years, as many leaders has been, is working on my empathy and, and really understanding um, and not sympathy, but empathy and, and really focused on that. So um, but again, I watching my dad from such a young age, he was president of our, our Little League Association, heavily involved. Um, so I don't want to say leadership comes naturally uh, because it doesn't. But in the same respect, I had a pretty darn good mentors with my mom and my father, as well as other relatives. Well, that's great. You, you uh, coach a hockey team. Is that right? I coached hockey for a long time. I coached both my boys for 20 plus years. I also coached uh, when we lived in Texas for a little bit. And I, and, and that's, I no longer did when I moved here to Ann Arbor uh, nine years ago to, to grow unify. I just knew that um, as my wife says, if, if RJ is going to do anything, he goes all in. And I knew that I, I wouldn't be able to do both. Um, uh, but here's the good news. My oldest son, Tyler, is now in his third year of assistant hockey coaching at the local high school. So I'm getting to live through him a little bit now on coaching. And someday maybe I'll get back into it. Um, but I just love, I love coaching. Hey, to me, it sounds like there are a lot of parallels between your, you know, your experience in the military, running a business. Uh, coaching, obviously parenting, being a husband. I mean, those are all things that require a lot of passion and patience and, and all of that. I completely agree. And, and Alex, I have to say though, I, you know, 
I've, I have made mistakes um, as, as well. No one's, no one's perfect. And, but there are parallels between, between all of that. And that's why I love coaching because the lessons that um, young athletes or athletes can learn in sports definitely translate into the business world or into the world. And um, I'm a firm believer in that. And that's the way I coached um, all the way up through. And, and, and that's why I believe that, you know, a lot of our players were successful and more importantly now successful in life. Um, you know, graduating college and engineers and attorneys and, and, and things of that nature. So. So tell us about the, I'm really curious to uh, understand a little bit more about the entrepreneur, how that works into it. Is this something that you can train? Define that for us. Sure. So an entrepreneur is the same, really the, the same attributes of an entrepreneur, but within the corporate confines of a larger organization. So um, intra, it's in. Entra, you know, so that entrepreneur goes out and finds us or, or tries to fix a solution or find a solution to fix a problem, right? And they're the visionary, they're the the big dreamers, the 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 um the I don't want to say doers, but they are doers. But the entrepreneur has that same mindset, but they also understand though they're doing it within the confines of another organization. Um, it can be taught, and I firmly believe that. Uh, entrepreneurship is the difference between success and failure within any organization. And I'll stand behind that the, all day long with data around that. Steve is Jobs. That, is, it, is it the level of focus? Because it sounds it's a level like of focus. Exactly. That's what it is. It really is a level, level of focus because what an, what an entrepreneur, the characters, five characteristics that at least that's what I teach and coach. There's five characteristics of an entrepreneur within the organization. And anyone that's listening, I'll, I'll use your company as an example. Alex, I guarantee you have entrepreneurs within your organization. Now, you haven't tagged those folks as you're an entrepreneur, okay? But those are folks that uh, believe in the vision, believe it where you're headed, are extremely resourceful, have a passion for learning. Our life learners have a passion for what they do. It doesn't matter what they're doing. And they're tenacious, um, those are really the things that you're looking for within an entrepreneur. Um, and when you start talking about that within your organization, all of a sudden you start to see a flurry of ideas. Three out of four employees in every single organization have ideas to improve your company. However, this day and age, we're not seeking that from the employees or we don't have a vehicle for them to share those ideas. So they feel they're unheard. And that I firmly believe also has a lot to do with the great resignation that's taking place. Knock on wood, a unified, we haven't, we haven't lost any employees mm -hmm. over the last two years because wow. we have a culture of entrepreneurship. People's voices are heard. They're able to make adjustments to current policy, current procedures, and the way that we do things. And we foster that environment. When you foster that environment, you see a level of engagement increase tremendously. You see uh, levels of energy increase tremendously and levels of engagement. And that's what we're all looking for on a daily basis. It doesn't matter if you're the leader of the company or if you're a team member of the company. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And, yeah. and as you're, as you're telling me about that, I'm drawing on examples just literally from this week, uh, from talking with different clients and how you and I were talking about the zoom stuff, which we'll tackle here in a minute, but 
where I had a client yesterday where they brought on a few of their employees to chime in on some of the changes that we're making to a lead generation campaign that we're doing for them. Mm -hmm. And we had an open conversation. I think it gets back to what you're saying about being allowing people to be that entrepreneur because this particular client, he's the, the owner of the company. Um, like he allows, he cultivates that, that, that atmosphere so that the employees feel like they can be heard. And so on the zoom call that we were on, a couple of the employees had a di difference of opinion on how to go about doing this thing, but because they're the ones in the front line with the clients, he said, Hey, you know what, if that's what you think we should do, then go for it. Just track it and give me the performance. On the other hand, I, I, I can equally tell you about other calls that I'm on where only the, the whether it's the manager, the owner, only their ideas matter. And it, it, it makes me cringe because I don't run my organization that way. Mm -hmm. To your point, you allow people to thrive. If, if They'll thrive if you allow them to come in and give those ideas because they're probably bursting with ideas anyways, right? They are bursting with ideas. And, and now it sounds easy, right? As we talk here about it. I will say it's very, very difficult if you're the manager, the CEO, the founder, the, the, you're, you own at the end of the day, your neck is on the line because we come up through leadership and we're taught that we're supermen, right? Or superwoman, and we have all the answers and we're going to fix everything. So it's really taking a step away and step back and not always believing that you're the only one with the right answer and understanding someone's perspective on, the, on, on their idea. But what you just said, Alex, is spot on. Typically, the, the your entrepreneurs within your company, and I want to speak specifically to that, a company should only have approximately 20% of their overall organization tagged as an entrepreneur because it doesn't work if you have 100% entrepreneurs because then nothing's getting done, right? Right. Um, and remember, an entrepreneur is probably doing something that's not in their job description, and they're using their own time and resources to fix a problem with the organization. And I give you an example of that. I had a salesperson who was definitely an entrepreneur. I mean, he he hit every single characteristics, life learner. He, he had his JD for law degree. He was a CPA. He loved school, loved education. But more importantly, he was an implementer and he could get things done. Mm. He came to me, this was probably five years ago and said, RJ, I firmly believe that we need a portal to receive customer payments online. And we didn't have that feature before. And this is when we were just growing, unifying, every dollar was critical. And I said to him, I said, for argument's sake, we'll call him Sam. I said, Sam, if this is something you want to do, and, and I knew his skill set, and I knew that he was a life learner, and I knew he was an entrepreneur. So there was no fear of stopping or starting and then stopping halfway through the project. I said, if you want to run with it, run with it. You have to work with our IT department and take their lead. Well, lo and behold, after two months, and he did have frustrations and that's back to the tenacious part. You have to be tenacious because he did have frustrations because remember, typically the whoever you're working with doesn't report directly to you. So you're trying to bring together resources from different departments or even externally to push your initiative along. Mm -hmm. So he did that. He completed the project and to give you an idea, now monthly, we process between anywhere between sixty to hundred thousand dollars through that portal on a monthly basis. That wasn't RJ's idea. That wasn't anyone else. This was this particular gentleman that wasn't in his job description. Wasn't anywhere that 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 
you know, said that part of your performance is based on this. He knew it was the right thing to do because he believed in the mission of the company. And the mission of our company for Unify is we're obsessed with, it's our tagline, obsessed with your success, which means that we want to ensure that our customers have a great experience, a great journey, and come back again and again and again for their financing needs. Oh, so, I love that. I love that story. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. And I and, and I was reading a little bit about your concept of, of the entrepreneur and, and talk to us about the difference between, and I don't know if it plays into the entrepreneur and that's where I wasn't clear, the uh, vital versus a functional employee. Because to me, the vital seems more it could be the entrepreneur, but it could it also be, so it is. Okay, it's spot on. The vital, the vital employee within any organization is, is what we call the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, and again, 20% of your organization. And that's the, that's the vital people. If you look at, if you look at your roster, and I, I refer to sports a lot, back to the coaching, mm -hmm. you look at your roster of, of, and I actually, we don't even call and unify employees, employees, we call them teammates. Mm -hmm. But if you look at your, if your, if your team's roster, you want 20% to be your vital, and then 80% is your functional, all right? Um, and then your bottom 10% might be your what we call seat warmers, okay? They're just showing up on a daily basis. What you want to manage, of course, is your 20% that are your, uh, that are your vital because they're driving the company. They're, they're pushing for success, buying the vision, doing everything you need, as well as making themselves successful. Then you're trying to identify in your functional another maybe five to ten percent that could step up to be a vital employee, right? You're you're, yeah. you're trying to identify, or if you don't have those, because let's be honest, at the end of the day, the world we live in, someone from that twenty percent might leave tomorrow, and now sure. you 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 always want to be backfilling, and that's what that's what we do. Um, when we're leading into COVID, okay, when we're leaving into COVID. Um, or the Great Recession going way back. Um, but really leading into COVID, I did a couple talks. More importantly, from the individual contributor perspective, mm -hmm. trying to teach this concept, because if you were nervous about losing your job, guess what? When, they, when any employer looks at employees, and we've all been through this, unfortunately, they're going to look to keep the vital and you're yeah. going to have job security. Yeah. If you're functional, depends where you are on that functional scale. And if you're a seat warmer, you're going to be out. And that, that's just the reality that we all yeah. live in. Yeah. And, and it's not a bad thing too, right? Uh, RJ, I think like knowing who you are, I, I did a, a talk last week at a university. Uh, these were seniors. They're about to graduate. And I said, how many of you have taken a DISC assessment or emotional intelligence or any of the typical HR assessments to learn more about yourself, what you're mm -hmm. good at? I believe it or not, a class of 50 students, not one of them. Typically, I get about 10. And I said, well, That's how many of you? That is a shame. I said, these are seniors. I said, but how many of you work full time or part time at a job? More than half raised their hand. So I said, so everyone, like almost everyone here works, has a job, but has never been assessed to really figure out what behaviors they're good at. And I said, and this is kind of getting to your point about the vital versus the versus the um uh, uh functional. the the functional employees in that i said there's nothing wrong if you don't want to be a leader and i kind of it was a trap because the question i asked is how many of you have feel like you have the entrepreneurial spirit right because most of these were gen z's so we know that you guys want to go change the world and do that <laughs> i go but 
So most of them raised their hands. I said, right. So, but my advice to you is go first, learn about yourself, work for a company, decide if you even want to be an entrepreneur, because if you want to be an entrepreneur, but you're not the type that can deal with the pressures and because you don't know that about yourself yet, mm -hmm. you're going to fail. You're going to fail time and time again. And wouldn't it be better? Now, this is using your definition. Wouldn't it be better if you kind of went out in the world and said, you know what? I, I know I'm going to be a functional person because I want to do my nine to five. I'll do it well. That's but but I have my hobby. I want to go climb mountains on the weekends and the days. So I'm if I go work for our RJ, RJ needs to know I, I'm going to be functional. And 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 that's it. Not that's great. And we're fine with that. We are because we have we, we, we unify would not be successful without functional employees at the end of the day, functional teammates. We yeah. they're they're actually the core. Yeah, it's a positive description. It's a positive description. Yeah. It's that top 20% that's going to help push the company to that next level, either a new product, process improvement, a revenue yeah. product. Those it, it, so if everyone understands where they are in the corporate in the company, in the team, yeah. That's a positive. That's transparency. And so, I think if you use your military background, yeah. I mean, those are the soldiers in the front line. They're functional. They need to, right? They're not going to be at, back at the base doing the X and O's. And what's amazing is when you foster this culture within your organization, you're actually going to see the functional employees start giving more feedback. Exactly. Mm -hmm. More feedback. Yeah. And I want to go back to your speech um, or the talk that you did at, at, at um, uh, to the seniors. First, thank you for doing that because I really think that in academics, um, uh, more life application and business application should be taught and not philosophy. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. Speaking of of assessments at Unify, we we utilize uh, a tool by the name of Predictive Index. I'm not sure if okay. you're familiar with that tool. PI. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to this. It's very similar to the other ones. And every single um, candidate takes this assessment. There's no pass or fail. The way that we use it is to understand the drivers. There's four dr main drivers of a predictive index. And I'm not going to get into the minutia of those, but we're looking for four things. But more importantly. We use that, Alex, for a communication tool mm -hmm. and self-awareness tools. So if you walk through Unify's office, we have everyone's PI hanging on their office door or on their cube. And we talk about it because there's certain attributes and characteristics of the PI shows from an assessment perspective around communication. And is it verbal? Is it email? Yes. Do they want a lot of notes? Do they want a lot of details? Sure. That's the first thing. And I had my family take it. Um, and it's interesting. It, it it's spot on. It's almost scary by picking words, how it identifies people. The second thing, and, and this is really probably more important. Any college senior that's coming out of school today that thinks that they want to go start their own company, stop. Do not do that. Whatever you believe you want to start, identify that company within your, within your geography or wherever, if you can move and go to work for that company and learn before you go invest your money or, or your parents' money or take on more debt. And you're able to get a, a learn a knowledge and skill set over that time that's going to only help you in the long run. Right. And I know everyone, we want it yesterday and we, 
we, we want to say we're an entrepreneur and it sounds cool to my buddies and <laughs> hey, it's a sexy thing. I'm a, yeah, I'm starting my own company. But at the end of the day, they're probably, and I don't want to be negative, they're probably living at home, sleeping on their parents' couch in their basement. Yeah. Versus if they went out and said, I want to do this and I'm going to go to this company because I believe in their what they stand for. And I'm going to go into that company and learn everything I possibly can and, and give them everything I possibly can, then make that decision and save money on the side. So you have the capital that's needed to start a company. I, I 100% agree with you. And that was what I was getting at. I pulled up on the screen on this giant screen in class, cause it's this huge auditorium. And I pulled up the LinkedIn job profiles for Europe, uh, South America, Canada, us, whatnot. And I said, look, all of you have a digital marketing degree right now. There's in those, those continents and countries, there's almost 700,000 jobs available in your field. And about uh, a third of them, I did the math and I pulled it up. A third of them are remote. So literally you could do it all remote. So do that first, because if you can be a superstar with a team who helps you move forward, then you might have a case to make two, three, four, five years into it. But if you go out on your own, and I gave him examples of, of people that I've worked with that came from large companies, corporate, like you know, big, big agencies. And I said, and these people were superstars in their management role, and they spent 10, 15, 20 years in corporate America. Then they said, well, now it's the time for me to go do my own thing. Guess what? They did it for like a couple of years, and they said, no way. I thought that I wanted that kind of a life, but I don't enjoy the leadership that it requires, the independence, the money. Uh, I had. I actually heard from, from a, a, a lady that came into one of our webinars and she said, I'll be honest, I realize now more than ever that the reason I was so good at what I was doing at this huge network was because I had all these amazing people around me. And when I went to do it alone, just hiring contractors and freelancers, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I not only do not have the talent, but I don't have the budget. So I gave these kids this example and I said, these are the things. I mean, it, it looks easy. And like you said, RJ, it looks sexy and it's cool, but it's not cool to go broke and make all the mistakes up front rather than going out there and, and proving that you could be a superstar under somebody else, right? Or, or, or here's the all, all, alternative, Alex. Go work in the company as an entrepreneur and do the side hustle, do the side gig of, yeah. of that if you're truly passionate yeah. about it. Because there definitely is a decentralization and you just pointed that out for anything that you want to do. The, the web and the tools that are out there, it doesn't matter where you live, what your background is, if you have the desire to go out and, and make it happen. But don't risk all your own capital or capital you might not have just because you want the title. Another quick thing we do, we actually, we, we tested this out at, at Unified. We would put out two job descriptions, one with the title. And then in the, in the description, we, we would put just a normal job description. And then the B would be, we would put that we're seeking someone with an entrepreneurship mindset. Okay. And then we measured, tested them on the level of candidates. The candidates that, that came in at A were good. B was far superior because they were attracted right. They have that, that confidence. Term. Yeah. They were attracted to being an entrepreneur. So you can reverse that. 
put that on your resume for any college student senior that's graduating, that title that you're an mm-hmm. entrepreneur. But make sure you understand the definition of it. Make sure you understand where it comes from. Make sure you understand how you're going to stand behind it. And in, when you do that, you're going to, uh, uh, you, I'm starting to see more and more of that on job descriptions anyways. Mm-hmm. But if you're being proactively and doing that, put it on your LinkedIn profile. It's on my LinkedIn profile that you're an entrepreneur. And like you will that. be shocked on, on the, the, the conversation and more importantly, the doors that I will open for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, um, I, I want to shift gears and talk about the, the, your book, the able leadership. And I, the reason why is because I think it's the, the systems formulas, what, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of things that we could call it that you use in there are, are, it's sort of a recipe that, that helps businesses succeed. And I'm surprised every day in talking with business, especially if they come to me, they're saying, Hey, we need leads. We need marketing. And I start asking the questions, not about marketing, but about the business, business model, cost per acquisition. How do you generate profit? Like all those things. And it, it's surprising to me, RJ, even some of the successful ones that have been able to do it for a long time, how many businesses do it without a system of any kind? It's just sort of a scattered mess of things. So talk to us about the ABLE leadership system and how important you, you think it is to have a system for success. I, I, and these are, these are proven that we've utilized here at Unify. So it's nothing that, again, back from philosophy to application, and ABLE stands for, as an acronym, ABLE stands for, A is for analyze, analyze your team, your revenue streams, everything you just talked about, Alex, your go-to-market strategy, the perfect avatar. And, and we walk a business owner through these and we've automated it now where it's really easy, where they can, it's not where they sit down and we drill them with all those questions, because the last thing we want to do is have that business owner feel intimidated that they don't know, because here's the thing, folks. 80% of business owners don't know the true KPIs that they should be measuring. That's just a fact. And unfortunately, it's gotten worse since COVID because the world is just changing at such a pace people can't keep up with. So that's where we come in in parallel, just like you do with your business customers. So A is for analyze. We analyze, really, we start with the business owner, what they want us to analyze. But we we can analyze everything from operating procedures to you know to their KPIs, go to market, revenue, financials marketing, things of that nature. Next is D is for build. Then we're going to start building. After we analyze, we're going to start building. We're going to build the build the roadmap for growth. We're going to look at the perfect client profile. We're going to build out SOPs or improve their SOPs. We're going to build out their KPIs that they should be measuring. Then after that, we're going to leverage. We're going to leverage against what we've built. We're going to leverage against the SOPs. We're going to leverage against either the new go-to-market strategy or the existing go-to-market strategy. We're going to leverage the customer profile that we've built out for that perfect customer. Then after we leverage, E is for execute. And it's all about execution. We, I, I use sports again as a, as a lot of my metaphors and analogies. At the end of the day, every NFL team has the same playbook or damn close, right? Mm-hmm. But the champions, who executes the best? And that's what it comes down to. So the E is for execute. And then if you visualize ABLE, it's a, it's, a con, it's a continuing circle where you're always just doing this. And that's where we tell our business owners that we work with that this concept, this operating system, it never goes away. Mm-hmm. You want to implement it and then utilize it 
every single year and almost use it as a, a basis for your quarterly meetings long term and continue right. just analyzing and looking at the business. So it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of operating systems out there. There's EOS, which is a great system. Yeah. There's Pete, there's several of them. So this was something that, that we've designed and test improved and looked at and analyzed. And we continue to tweak because again, the world is changing at such a pace. Um, who would have thought leveraging zoom three years yeah. ago, it wasn't even a discussion point. Now it's a discussion point. How are you leveraging technology? How are you leveraging your zoom? Is it good quality in terms of your cameras, the microphones, things of that nature? So, um, or, or a new channel like podcast. It's not new. I had a podcast back in 2015, but it wasn't doing a lot for me. It was a partnership with Constant Contact and we did it for a year and it was okay. It was another channel to get our stuff out there and also help clients. And we did that. We'd interview clients. And um, so we left it alone after 2016. And when the pandemic hit again, 2020, I said, oh my God, 95% of my leads and clients over the past decade plus came from going to face-to-face -to -face conferences, Chicago, New York, Vegas, all over. Guess what? We, we couldn't do that. So we're going, how are we going to continue to get new clients? Because doing ads online, never worked well for us because you can't compete with the big guys who are willing yeah. to spend 10x. So we said, well, we can't do face-to-face. -face. Let's go do master classes, webinars, podcasts, all those new things that we hadn't tried yet. It started to work. And I think it's back to what you were saying earlier, which is when we were talking about the Zoom thing, where it makes you feel a little uncomfortable to try new things that may not work. But if you're not willing to try it, and then I think the most important thing about your system, RJ, you talked about it was that execute, because I see it just all too often, so much planning and they're creating the blueprint. But when it comes to executing, it's left at the boardroom and they, they don't even want to revisit it the next time they meet because it was like, oh, Let's pretend we didn't plan on that since we didn't execute even on 10% of what we planned. Right. And that's where we're very focused on when we come out of those meetings. We're very focused on three things, three big rocks that we're going to focus on before the next quarterly meeting, right? Because okay. it can be overwhelming. Yeah. So you do have to drill down to prioritizing where you want to focus at. However, the able operating system the whole company is using just not the leadership team and that's mm -hmm. back to the transparency and the discussions within the within the whole company or, or business unit um and again it, it's just always working on it tweaking it getting better and pivoting and i can i can use a, a, a unify as an example of that when we first when i first joined on the second president ceo for unify the company was started in 1978 so a lot of longevity i walk in in 2013 the former president was retiring. And what we did was we had to grow revenue. We needed, we needed oxygen. Sales is oxygen to any oxygen for any company. And we were, we opened up, I'll use a restaurant as a metaphor. We opened up our restaurant and Alex, it didn't matter what the customer wanted, a steak, pizza, Thai, seafood, sushi. We just wanted to give them the best possible experience that they could have to mm -hmm. generate that cash flow. However, after doing that a couple of years, it's very challenging to scale that because you can't carry inventory you, you, and you don't become great at any one thing. You're good, but never great. So we made the conscious decision to say, we want to be a steakhouse with a little bit of seafood and we might pivot off of that, but that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Well, we stayed true to that. And from 2016 to now, 
we've seen an incredible increase in our business, a decrease in our costs, as well as a better client experience. Because when the waitress brings back the steak order to the chef, the chef says, I know that like the back of my hand and I can give make that steak really quick. Where before in 2016, we might've had to run, get the cut of meat from the steakhouse, the meat house. The chef wasn't sure, is it right? Is it not right? Mm-hmm. And we were trying to excel on service. Now we're aligned on both great service and we understand what we're, you know, the, the, the foundation is built. Um, so that's part of, again, back to that A piece of ABLE of analyzing all the time. And there's nothing in this world today that is static. Everything yeah. is dynamic. Yeah, it's moving. It's, it's, a- it's a moving pivot and, and you have to be open to pivoting. And, and, but I also want to reiterate something. And I was listening to one of your videos and your podcast. You can't do something for a week and say, well, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it's sort of like exercising. You go to the gym one day and you don't drop 10 pounds. You don't stop. You have That's to right. go and build the repetition. It's a muscle. And you have to work at it, work at it, work at it. Then after a certain given amount of time, and I highly recommend before you start something, say, I'm going to do it for this long. Mm -hmm. So there's no emotion attached to it. And then do it. And then take a step back and analyze results. Yeah, there's just too much of that Silicon Valley, you know, uh, fail fast mindset. It's not even a mindset. It's quite frankly, just a bunch of BS that people who have already experienced success go out there. Um, I know there's a lot of thought leaders who say, yeah, just go just try, put it all in. And, and, and they fail to talk about how much time it actually takes to create things of greatness. But the last, last thing I want to leave our listeners with today, RJ, is a, a blog that you recently wrote on your website, which we're going to put in the link here in the show notes and uh, for, for the listeners, was a post about um, stress. And I think it was Juwan Howard's uh, emotions. And I can, I identified with that a little bit because through the pandemic, I went through some ups and downs and so did many of my clients, listeners, employees, where you felt like sometimes you were working too hard, not getting enough sleep and your emotions. What day of the week was that? (laughs) I'm not sure. It was, it was a blur. And, you know, and we homeschool our kids and we're, I mean, you're trying to do so much that, that sometimes you're doing nothing. So Talk to us a little bit about that post because I, I I found the your your insights pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I actually talked to my wife about that before I completed that post, and and um, since I am in Ann Arbor, it's a hot topic, of course, because that's where the University of Michigan is is here, and um, mm-hmm. we're big U of M fans. You have to be if you live here in in Ann Arbor, and the the, the it's very difficult to control when you're emotionally entrenched in something. Mm-hmm. And especially with COVID, we all have, we all, there, there's no one during the last two years can look anyone in the eye and say, yeah, it's been a great two years. I don't know what the big deal is. Everybody's, you know, we're doing fine. I've had a roller coaster. my wife, my kids, everyone, it doesn't matter. What I try and do is back up and say, in the grand scheme of things and relative to everything, I'm fine. We're fine. You know, we're healthy. We, we live in a wonderful country, you know, the world has changed, but back to that piece, the world, the world that we live in today, I believe we've been pushed so far 
And there's no consistency around where we're headed as a country. And I don't want to get into politics, but where, where we're going, business has been turned upside down. The world's been turned upside down. Mm-hmm. It's like a snow globe and it was shaken up. Okay. And then everyone says, well, what's wrong? We should just act normal. We should, everything should be fine. But that's not the case. Yeah. Because there's so much stress and so much direction. Now in Juwan's situation, and I, I love social media, but I always love people that are making comments that either never played sports, <laughs> never coached sports, and it doesn't, and I'm speaking of a higher level. I'm not just speaking you played literally. If you played in high school or college, you 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 competed at a at a higher level. And you understand the emotion, the emotional drain that it takes on an individual and the vested interest and everything you put into that and how do you manage that mm-hmm. so you, you you take the sports piece of it that you're already that passionate and under that stress and university of michigan is a big time program then you layer on top of it the world covid in the world of mask or no mask the wheel of you know everything that we deal with and now today war you know with what's taking place which is so sad yeah and there's a tipping point that people can't bend anymore yeah. they're going to you stay. break you break you can break yeah. and you think about that situation here is Juwan coaching his team trying to get back to the or get into the NCAAs the coach of the opposite team calls a timeout they're already up so many points there's just so many variables that take place that unfortunate things like that happen. Now I can guarantee both head coaches would love to rewind the clock and, and, you know, not have that happen because they both understand that it was not um, the best version of the, of, of themselves. Yeah. And there was an intent for that to, to take place. However, in the moment, and I've been there in the moment, it, you, you don't realize it. You're so laser focused on what is taking place you're emotionally attached and you break. Yeah. Yeah. No, your you're feelings? well, no, I mean, I, I felt the same way, but I was drawing on some parallels of exactly that. Not only myself, but clients, employees, different people that went through different things, whether it was because they got COVID or their business. I had over 20 clients that went out of business in 2020, 2021. Some of these businesses, RJ, I mean, they had been around for decades right? And I knew these people personally. So it wasn't because they were a bad leader or they were financially, you know, fiscally irresponsible. It wasn't any of the things that typically is the reason why businesses fail, right? Right. Like market fit and things like that. It was just mostly it was stress. Like they couldn't keep going. So many of these people said like, you know, at my age, these, most of them in their 60s, 70s said, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to deal with this BS day in, day out, mask mandates, no mask mandates. Well, think about it. They came through COVID. The government did step up PPP, which is a great program. And, you know, you, I saw it firsthand. It was a great sure. program. It saved Absolutely. a lot of our local companies from yeah. going out of business. But now you fight through that. Now you can't hire anyone. <laughs> yeah. We, we had businesses closed as well where they said, I same thing. I can't hire anyone. I can't, I can't continue this vicious cycle of trying to hire people and putting money into this company. And they just, we, I, one particular customer I'm thinking of right now, 35 years in business, same thing. It's like, I'm just going to take a job. Uh, You know, I, 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 
it, it's not worth it anymore. And it's not worth that stress. But I think the takeaway for me was the fact that whether it's in your personal life, business, health, you know, in this case, sports, one of the ways in which you can help not eliminate, it's just help. Uh, your, uh, minimize your stress or control it is by having a system of sorts in place. Yes. So for me, yes. I mean, I use everything from SWOT analysis to EOS. I'll start using yours now. I have my own. I use design thinking. Um, I, I mean, I use so many different systems to help me make better decisions in those key moments where even if I have to look to someone that's on the board or an employee or a client or my wife, great, I've got the consensus, but I still need to make that decision. and and systems just help you a little bit minimize. So for me, it could be also meditating. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you talked about sleep in there. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you have lack of sleep, you're not going to make uh, good decisions. <laughs> I've become the biggest fan of sleep as I get older. Um, it, it's, and I know if I don't, if I don't have enough ample sleep, I know that um, I'm not going to be the best version of RJ. It's, it's unbelievable with sleep and meditation and, and all of those things. And, Back to COVID, I, 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 we talked about empathy, um, and I have empathy for Coach Howard, and a lot of people don't. They're, they're, they want to attack, and I go back to the people that are typically attacking never played sports, never walked in his shoes, That's don't right. understand what it is. You, you have 15 young men that are looking at you that want to get to there's there's they don't know so they'd rather just throw stones he should be fired he, you know it, it's no good it's like i, I just don't uh, we, yeah. we have to have more empathy do we do absolutely well listen it's been such a pleasure having you here on the podcast today i know our listeners who are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are going to enjoy a lot of the, the, the advice that you gave and life experiences and sharing your story with us. And we're going to follow the work that you're doing. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Anything else you want to leave us with today, RJ? No, I, I've really enjoyed the conversation as well. And kudos to you for all the great things you're doing. Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're just keep moving forward and, and utilize your tools and, and just continue learning. Just be a life learner every single day. Thanks again.